Broadcasting from the road in Moody, Alabama on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. This is the Campus Reacher Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is Episode 9, The Jewish Question, Part 1. went forth to sow bearing precious seed in his hand Hoping and hope that he might see it grow That's right. Broadcasting from the road. I left Southern California on Saturday. Raced across the South. I was in Mississippi Monday, Tuesday. Now I'm in Moody, Alabama. I'm going to be in Tennessee tomorrow. On over to Georgia. Then I'm going to reverse course, drive up to Ohio. Next week I'll be in Indiana. So if you're anywhere uh, in that area, feel free to reach out if you think I'll cross paths and we can meet up maybe for a meal. Uh, Maybe you can join me on campus. And then at the end of next week, I'm going to race out to Idaho, where I'll be in Idaho for the month of uh, April and at least May, perhaps longer, but we'll see how it goes. And uh, thinking of seeing how it goes, here I am on my ninth broadcast of my podcast. And uh, what I've discovered is um, my best plans to date have not gone as planned. So I think last week I mentioned I was going to be doing abortion this week. And then my week happens and I change course and even... As my week happens, I was supposed to drop this thing yesterday, Tuesday. I'm now recording on Tuesday because I left uh, my power cord for my computer in Los Angeles, and my computer had died. And so ran out to Walmart, bought a new uh, wire, a new power cord, which didn't fit, so I had to go to Best Buy today. And But now I'm set up, good to go. Um, but last week, I was preaching in Southern California, And on Thursday, I went to go to a little community college, which had a flex day, and that flex day meant there were no classes. So here I am, uh, show up on campus. I was like, ah, parked in the front row. Let's do this. Then I walk out on the campus, and there is nobody there. So about uh, five minutes into the day, I was like, all right, uh, it's clear no one's here. I'm running to another school. The nearest school was about 20 minutes away, so I ran there, another community college, and I uh, jumped off, just started preaching, and had a, a really, really good, fruitful meeting. It was a little raucous for about the first hour. There was some uh, International Church of Christ people who are uh, baptismal regeneration. You have to be baptized in their church to be saved and kind of be discipled in their church. So had a little bit back and forth with them. Then the Christians wanted to take some issues with some of the things I was saying, and uh, so things started getting uh, a little bit raucous, a little bit rowdy. Um, but then the police come, try to disperse the crowd, um, or that's what they wanted to do, and that that school. Uh, so I kind of, kind of funny. About five years ago, I preached on this campus, and it was a day that was was pretty dead. I just started preaching. I got out there, started preaching, and there was this long walkway. And it could it could have been a day actually where they didn't even have class because there was only like four or five people out walking around. But there's this huge long walkway, and as I'm standing there, there's this uh, cop begins to drive my way and it's a good hundred yards and so I can see him approaching and driving as I'm standing there and I'm just preaching and there's yeah like I said four or five people out and about and you know three of them are looking at me like I'm a madman and two are kind of like still standing there staring at me like what do we make of this and uh, the police comes up uh, he stops his car he gets out of this car and he gets out of his car with put down the book put down the book and uh, so I don't know if he thought it was like a weapon I was gonna either chuck at him maybe I was hiding a gun in there and uh, he wasn't sure what he was getting getting involved with, and so I I had to put down the book and interact with the officer, and he said I wasn't allowed to be there. Um, but then the school had a an issue with uh, somebody who was handing out constitutions and ended up uh, suing the school 
to ensure that uh, you know that that the whole campus was basically a de facto free speech zone. So if you've ever followed any free speech issues, um, this is called Pierce College in California, and they kind of uh, for the school for the students, the whole campus is open up, but for the public, it's not all open up. So after about an hour of preaching, hour and a half of preaching, uh, the school actually moved me. They only moved me about 15, 20 feet, so it really wasn't bad. Um, but it was a really good, fruitful day. And what was uh, what stood out actually for me, though, which makes me get into the Jewish question, uh, which is somewhat intentionally broad. I, I don't know if you pay any attention to alt-right politics, um, but there are some loon, Looney Tunes off on the right that will ask about the quote-unquote Jewish question, which is basically a, a sub- subtext is racist. Um, and my aspect of the Jewish question has nothing to do with uh, racism and uh, the Jews being uh, some sort of trouble, uh, inherent troublemakers to society or a genetic problem that need to be dealt with. Uh, but the Jewish question deals with us evangelizing, in my context, deals with us evangelizing to the Jews. And what stood out to me was at the end of the day, I finished up, and a young Jewish man came up to me with a Christian, and they were clearly having a back and forth. And so I stand there talking to one guy, and this Jewish guy comes up to me with a Christian, and the, the Jewish guy starts off with, uh, are you do you love Christianity? And I was like, well, I love Jesus. And, and so, you know, if that's what you're identifying as Christianity, I, I will also say, yes, I love uh, Christianity. Then he, he leads in from there with, then you hate the Jews. And I was like, no, 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 I, I don't hate the Jews. I, I, I believe that Christianity is, in fact, the completion of Judaism. And so, you know, if you're not familiar with me or my theology, you can go to my YouTube page. If you just punch in Keith Darrell, I have, I believe, two videos that I did in response to Andy Stanley's Unhitching Us from the Old Testament series. I uh, can't remember what he named that uh, uh, series, but uh, he talked about unhitching us from the Old Testament. So if, if you want a little bit of my theology, you can go to that where I interact with Andy Sermon and lay out how Christianity is basically rooted in the Old Testament. And the uh, as Paul would say, all scriptures God breathes and profitable correction, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And so, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are scriptures. Ex- Leviticus, you know, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those books are profitable of correction, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So as a Christian, are we believe that Jesus is in fact the Jewish Messiah. And as a Jewish Messiah, we've been engrafted into Israel. Jesus is the true Jew. And so all of our outlook is ought to be thoroughly, in a sense, thoroughly Jewish, if by Jewish you mean Old Testament, if by Jewish you now mean uh, the tradition of the elders. So even when Jesus arrived on the scene, he was rebuking the Jews of his day because they nullified the word of God with their traditions. If that was going on 2,000 years, throw on another 2,000 years of tradition, and you can see how far uh, the religion of Judaism is from actual biblical religion and and obviously recognizing that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. But this young man came up to me, and he wanted to understand why I, in fact, thought Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, and he obviously wanted to argue that he wasn't and that he couldn't be the Jewish Messiah. So I thought, after interacting with him a bit, there I thought I'd do a three-part series on why I think Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And it's obviously not going to be in-depth, and there's plenty of texts outside of this that we can deal with. But what I want to give you guys is a little bit of a bare bones outline of a conversation that you might be able to have uh, with your Jewish friends. Uh, And even a little bit more broadly in the culture, they're going to say that Judaism, Islam, and Christianity are all Abrahamic faiths. And as Abrahamic faiths, we should all get along. But what I want to do in this little series, I'm going to begin with Abraham, then we're going to look at the prophet Daniel, then we're going to look at the New Testament and Jesus uh, being the Messiah. 
And the reason I want to look at those three things is if, if you have a little bit of the backdrop of the context of Israel being in Abraham, then you can get a pretty good understanding of where Israel falls on the line. So God calls Abraham, he's going to be a blessing to the nation. So when you go to sit down with a Muslim and a Jew and even a secular man who's listening in, and they want to say that you are all Abrahamic faiths, the first thing we want to do is, I, in a sense, we, we agree with that. There is no Christianity without Old Testament Judaism, and there is no Islam without Old Testament Judaism and New Testament Christianity. And I realize for some people that might sound a little bit foreign because we want to say that Islam is just errors, but kind of like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, they can only exist because the Bible exists. There are certain heresies and there are certain errors that only exist because the Bible exists. So even Talmudic Judaism exists because the Bible exists. Um, all Christian heresies exist because the Bible exists. Islam exists because the Bible exists. So if so, I, I say that even from the standpoint that there's a certain level of a point of contact with all, almost all, monotheistic heresies, because monotheism, for the most part, is rooted in Judaism. You might have a couple strands here or there in history, but for the most part, if we are dealing with a monotheistic religion, we're dealing with something coming up out of uh, the Jewish scriptures. And so we have a point of contact with everybody. We have a point of contact with the Jews, the law of Moses and the prophets. We have a point of contact with the Muslims, uh, the Torah, the Psalms, as well as the Angel or the Gospels. And we have a point of contact a little bit with the Mormons. They should believe in the, the Bible, as well as the Jehovah's Witnesses. So what we, large what we need to do when we're evangelizing in that context and doing apologetics in that context, we, our best bet is actually having really good theology and knowing our own text better than they know it. And so if you know the Bible better than the Jews know it, if you know the Torah better than your Jewish friend knows it, you're going to be able to explain how Jesus is, in fact, the Jewish Messiah. If you don't know the Torah as well as your Jewish friend knows it, um, you might have a more difficult time. But I also think in that context, if we get into Scripture a little bit, you'll be able to have an understanding of how Jesus is, in fact, fulfilled these things and how he is the Jewish Messiah. So today in part one, what I want to look at is the Abrahamic faith. So what is the Abrahamic faith? In order to grasp what the Abrahamic faith is, you need to camp out a little bit in Genesis 1 through 11. And we want Genesis 1 through 11 not just to um, be creationists, although we are creationists. We want Genesis 1 through 11 to set the context for the call of Abraham. And any call of Abraham that does not take seriously the fall of Adam is not taking the call of Abraham seriously enough. So when you think of what is the problem according to the Bible— I would say it's the first 11 chapters of Genesis. God creates the heaven and the earth. The heavens and earth were very good, and God gives man abundance. This ties into my whole apologetic that God is life. So when people want to argue about the problem of evil, we want to start off with creation and say, nope, God is very good. The world that God made was very good. So creation is important for a myriad of reasons, but even from a simple apologetic standpoint, when it comes to the problem of evil, the Bible clearly presents the problem as, ha as having entered due to human rebellion. And so whenever uh, you're gonna talk about the Abrahamic faith, uh, it's gonna tie in ultimately with Adam. But when a group of people wanna understand, you know, aren't you guys all the Abrahamic faith? Um, there's a sense in which we can say yes, but we need to ask the question, what's the content of the Abrahamic faith? And the first place we come across uh, the Abrahamic faith is in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse one, it says, "'Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
So that call comes on the heels of the Tower of Babel where they seek to ascend into heaven, and God divides their tongues, the whole Tower of Babel story. And so what is the problem in the first uh, 11 chapters? It's the fall of man found for grasping for equality with God. It's the sons of God, which I believe are what we might identify as angelic-like beings. I don't believe it's uh, earthly men. But then you have this collapse in Genesis 6, which leads to the flood. So you have another fall taking place there. The sons of God grasp the daughter of men. Adam and Eve grasp uh, of the knowledge of the good and evil. And then the Tower of Babel, where they seek to ascend to heaven and make a name for themselves. But God calls Abraham in that context. One of the uh, important things to realize with the call of Abraham is I think it pretty clearly is a reversal of the curse upon Adam. So when you think of uh, Adam falling, he was exiled from the land. They were going to have problems in childbirth, and also the land was cursed or they were cursed. And so what you have with the call of Abram at this point is that you have a promise of land, you have a problem of posterity, you'll be a great nation. Then you also have the blessings, which is a reversal of the curse, but you do also have a curse falling upon anybody that will not bless uh, the name of Abraham. And so the call of Abraham is a reversal of the fall of Adam and also, I would say, a reversal of the Tower of Babel as well. And so the, the beginning content of the Abrahamic faith are these promise of blessings. And since you know we're, we're trying to do a relatively brief apologetic here, um, we could go through the whole thing, and, and there's a lot of fascinating stuff, and this is kind of a kind of a freebie. But one of the great things is, uh, so Abraham's given the promise of a seed, and what happens? He's really old. His wife's really old. They're not having children. So they come up with this great plan where Sarah grasps Hagar and gives her to Abraham. And Abraham, like Adam before him, unfortunately, listens to the voice of the woman. So even, even apologetically, when people bring up the story of uh, Hagar and what uh, Abraham and Sarah did with Hagar, and they're like, isn't this awful, especially in a Me Too culture, that's going to stand out as pretty uh, prominent. Uh, we need to point out that the biblical narrative, if you're reading it carefully, what is taking place there is that Sarah and Abraham are not trusting the promises of God, so they grasp Hagar. It's another fall taking place. So the language there, if you're paying attention, is fall language. So Abraham listened to the voice of the woman grasping uh, Hagar. There's a fall, and what happens? There's a conflict, and uh, you know Ishmael is born, and they, they have to take him out and all that sort of stuff. But, but all that stuff is, is intertwined with the Genesis 3 narrative in the fall of uh, Adam and Eve. And so eventually... He gets a sign of circumcision to show, to show that it's not brought about by the flesh. It's not brought about by human effort, uh, but rather it's brought about by the promises of God and trusting his promises. And all of that is central to the Abrahamic story because you have to realize that when they try to bring about the promises through the flesh, they sow discord between he and Hagar, Ishmael, and all that sort of stuff. And so in his old age, God does give him the child um, Isaac. And so imagine this. So God makes you a promise through your seeds, going to come a blessing to all nations. Your wife's barren. You go about bringing this promise through Isaac. And even there's a couple points where Isaac was almost killed, um, but his life is spared. And now you come, or uh, Ishmael, then you come to Isaac. And here you are with Isaac in your old age that God has made a promise that through your seed is going to come a blessing to all nations. Your only seed left is Isaac. And so it's in that context that God says, now offer him up to me. And so even, again, apologetically, people often ask, you know, is it immoral that God required 
Abraham to offer up Isaac? Is this a sinful or an immoral act? And uh, I'm going to say no from from two standpoints. First of all, it's a sacrifice, and it's a much bigger discussion uh, than than I'm going to have on this podcast. But I would make a distinction between murder and sacrifice, or killing and sacrifice. So even when you think of uh, animal sacrifice, uh, you know nowadays if you're offering sacrificing animals, people think, well, you're killing animals, and you are. Um, but I think culturally there would have been a difference in Israel with the context of sacrificing an animal rather than just a bare killing of an animal, as we would often think of that. So I, I think apologetically, we have to understand that what we're pointing to here with Abraham going up to offer up Isaac, it's not a mere murder, but it is a sacrifice. And it is a sacrifice in the context that through this child is going to come a blessing to all nations. And so if you're Abraham and you're willing to offer him up and sacrificing him, what is it that you're actually believing? I think in part what we want to argue, and I think what happens in the story, is that Abraham ultimately believed in the resurrection of Isaac. By offering up Isaac, he believed that if through his seat, it, through this child, is going to come a blessing to all nations in some way, shape, or form, Yahweh is going to raise him up. So the sacrifice, I believe, needs to be set in the context of what Abraham's faith was and the promises that God has made to Abraham and not just accept it as a bald or blank, go kill the child. It, yes, go sacrifice the child, sacrifice him in this context. So looking at Genesis 22, he says this, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Uh, two things. Uh, this language, what you should hear as a Christian, is Genesis or uh, John three sixteen type language. Uh, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Uh, so, so Isaac is Abraham's uh, beloved son, and he's the one whom he loves. And so it, it's not this blank murder. But God the Father loves his son, and he also is giving him up. So in the New Testament, uh, Isaac is Jesus, and God the Father is like Abraham, and Abraham is offering up his beloved son, um, who he believes he will get back via resurrection, because God has made promises to him. And one other little side note, if you look up Moriah in your uh, Bibles, I believe it's only used in one other place, in Second Chronicles uh, 3.1, and it's where Solomon builds uh, the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. And it's also the place uh, in that text where it says where God revealed himself to David. So even you know from a geographical standpoint, Moriah becomes important later on in the rest of the Bible. So in verse 3, it goes on to say, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two, two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will head over there and worship and come again to you. And so the, he and the boy are going to go and worship. Then they're going to come again to them. So I believe the context, again, Abraham believes he's going to get the son back, even though God is calling him to go offering him up. And so Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they both went uh, together. And so, you know, fast forward, I won't read the whole uh, story for you, but ultimately Abraham goes to offer up Isaac and an angel of the Lord 
intervenes and says, Abraham, we now know that you fear God. You've obeyed his voice. Uh, Down in verse 18 is important. And in your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Earlier, he obeyed the voice of the woman. Now he's obeying Yahweh's voice. Uh, Adam obeyed the voice of uh, Sarah, or uh, uh, Adam obeyed the voice of Eve. But here, Abraham is obeying the voice of God. So what does it mean to live by faith? It's to live by the voice of God, ultimately. And that's what we uh, learn in the life of Abraham. And so as you're sitting there with a Jew and you're sitting there with a Muslim and you're sitting there with a secular man, they're asking or uh, asserting that Israel or that uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are all Abrahamic faiths. You want to say, in a sense, I'm willing to grant that. But what's the con- what is the content of the Abrahamic faith? The content of the Abrahamic faith is ultimately Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that God will reverse the fall of Adam through the seed of Abraham and part of that typology of what's going on there in the faith of Abraham is ultimately the resurrection of the beloved son. And so beginning, and I, I would argue more fully, that's the whole Old Testament narrative, but beginning in Genesis 22, one of the central things that we get is the resurrection of the beloved son. And we see that throughout the Old Testament, and we find it in types of shadows there, and we find the fulfillment ultimately not in the little sacrifice of somebody's son in the Old Testament, but the literal sacrifice of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, uh, years later, through his death, through his burial, his resurrection, God has provided the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So, as you sit there with the Jews and you sit there with the Muslims, I would say one of the places you want to begin as a point of contact with them is not all the ins and outs of Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel or even the rest of the Torah, but in the place where we kind of do have a common ground in Genesis 12 through 22 with Abraham and getting at the content of the Abrahamic faith. And I believe, as Paul argues in Genesis 3, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that seed. So it's actually a pretty glorious story, and that's just kind of a nutshell. We could spend hours going through uh, the whole story of Abraham because it's pretty amazing. But I just want to put, you know, kind of plant a seed, so to speak, there as part one for the Jewish question, it's Abraham. So that's the that's basically what I get out. Next week, we're going to actually look at Daniel chapter 2, uh, for the context of the coming Messiah during the Roman Empire, which I, I think is an important apologetic uh, with the Jews as well. So that's episode nine, uh, the Jewish question, or really just apologetics to the Jews and to the Muslims regarding the Abrahamic faith. Uh, my name is Keith Darrell. If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Campus Evangel, or you can email me, Keith, at CampusPreacher.com. Uh, Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week, where we really will actually cover part two in Daniel chapter two. He runs on his way, there's no time to be going.